Welcome on into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. Joined as always by my great co-host, George. We got a good one on hand, talking a bunch of NBA. We got John Moran to talk about, Tyrese Maxey, the emergence of him since the Harden trade. We got three teams to discuss in the lower part of the Eastern Conference, right in that the thick of things in the playoff picture with the Celtics, Cavs, and the Raptors. And then we're going to go over to the NFL and just hit home on the Amari Cooper story, where apparently he could be, he could have played his last downs with the Dallas Cowboys. And we'll see how that shakes out. And what our thoughts are there before we get started, George, how are we doing today? And we're doing good. You know, I'm really starting to get back into the, the NBA swing of things. Um, I was watching the Knicks last night, get that win against the Clippers. Um, I was really impressed with RJ Barrett. I know this isn't one of our pre-scheduled topics, but um, he plays really hard. He he always showed the knack to get to the basket, but now I think not only does he draw the fouls, but he can also finish. Um, he's almost who Julius Randle thinks he is. He he's definitely the the evolution of his jump shot has definitely been there. Uh, I maybe like it's just over the sporadic games I've seen, but he he's definitely taken a step up there and. Like you were saying, getting to the basket, he's gotten a lot craftier with it, with using his body, creating enough separation when it comes to big men barreling down on him, as opposed to just running down and just trying to draw draw the foul there. He's able to get up and over these guys for some like really difficult layups, and he and then he goes and tries and posterizes some uh, some guys, yeah. and he draws fouls there. Well, you gotta love that. And then also, as we all know, sometimes the best way to improve your finishing is actually to improve your jumper because it's going to force them to play closer up and then you're going to be able to get to the basket. So I think that's probably been a part of it too, but I've been really happy with him, especially when Zion was at his peak and you were looking at how good Zion was and how good John Morant was. I think a lot of people and how much they love to, you know, kind of shit on the Knicks were doing the, Oh, RJ is a bust, this and that. He was never a bust. I just think that he was a bit more of a late bloomer compared to those guys. And I, I feel pretty good about him going forward. It's really tough with these guys, with these NBA players, because, you know, you have these great guys like Zion, like John Morant, like LaMelo, who are coming into the league and they're amazing. You're like, oh, everybody else should kind of be up to speed with that. But these are still 18, 19 year old kids. And some of the guys it takes an extra year. And I'm not saying RJ is going to be up towards a Zion or John. I don't think you're saying that either. But for this guy, I, I, I. always felt comfortable that this guy wasn't going to be a bust. I thought this guy had from what I had read about him and all of this he was always going to develop into at least a solid enough player where you wouldn't, you would feel comfortable with him being in your starting lineup. It was whether or not he could be the one number one option. Like you might've thought a jaw and a Zion are. And, and look, if he's going to keep making these strides year after year, like he has between his first year and his second year, and then second year and third year, then the Knicks fan and Knicks fans. I mean, I'm happy to see him in the development he's had there. He's the best asset that they have on the team, but to get to that next level, that's I think what you're looking for, but it's still just nice to see the development there. Yeah. He, he, should be an all-star next year, barring injury, the way it's trending. That's where you'd hope. And look, yeah. I'll relate to a little bit to the Giants, like Andrew Thomas, first year. I'm, he wasn't as bad as Andrew Thomas was in his first year, but Andrew Thomas struggled mightily. It was the fourth overall pick, and then you got guys a little bit later that were doing really well, like Tristan Wirfs, who was an all-pro in his rookie year. But then you see the steady progression, and it doesn't seem the flashiest because he didn't start off so hot. But end of the, like throughout this past season with the Giants, he was a real stable point, a guy that, you know, as a Giants fan, I look at it and he's like, that's a cornerstone left tackle. And with the Knicks, you see R.J. Barron is like, this is a guy that we know if as long as he's here, that's going to be a solid enough guy that's going to be in our roster and he's going to be a good enough player that I think will continue to develop to be a guy that can, you know, compete for all-star spots. Definitely. 
Okay, let's talk about a guy. You know, we were just talking about John Zion. John Morant has taken yep. that leap to superstardom in this year. He is averaging 27, 6 and 6, 54% effective field goal percentage, 58% true shooting percentage. He's got the fourth best odds, according to DraftKings, for MVP at plus 1100 right now. I pose this question to you How many guys are you taking over him right now for this season? If we're talking this season only, I'll put it, I'll, I'll answer it in this way. I keep a pretty small list of guys that I believe can be the best player on a championship team. And then I expand that list a little bit in case of injury. For example, Giannis would have been on the injury list last year. And so because guys, the Lakers were hurt and the Warriors were hurt and the Nets were hurt, a guy like Giannis can win the title. Same with Kawhi in 2019. Guys on the Warriors get hurt. It becomes possible for him to win the championship. Other than that, I keep the list pretty small. It's basically LeBron, Durant, and Steph. Um, Then, Now, as those guys are aging out and a few guys are coming to their prime, I would expand the list to include, at least in an injury year, you want to say Jokic, Luka Doncic, and maybe Embiid. But I would not have Morant on any of those lists. So I guess that goes to say, this guy's amazing. I think he's getting his flowers. But I personally have to pump the brakes a little bit and say, this guy isn't best player on a championship team type guy yet. And probably for me, likely not ever, but I suppose you never know. So you're jumping the gun. I was going to ask you that in a little bit. But uh, for me, when I was going through and I'm making the list of guys I, I'd rather have over him right now, it goes LeBron, Giannis, KD, Steph, you know, the usual suspects. Then I got Embiid, Harden, Jokic, Luka, Donovan Mitchell, Tatum, and Booker. And then, like, maybe DeRozan. I think DeRozan, similar to him, it's just weird that DeRozan's done this, like, past 30. He's had his, like, prime season where he's kind of emerging crazy as a guy that can be an MVP caliber player. Jaws emerging, but it's like the start for him. Those are the guys I think that I definitely have over him at this point because of the longevity that they've had there. And I just don't think that Jaws really elevated to that point, even though he is sitting at fourth in the MVP odds. Yeah, well, well, his stock is the highest it's ever going to be. So all the guys I listed, I think, are pretty comfortable you take over them. But some of those guys you had at the end. So I didn't list Harden and with DeRozan. These guys are sort of victims of their own playoff failures, right? John Moran doesn't have playoff failures that you can point to and say, oh, I actually don't like this guy in the playoffs because he chokes. And that's what, unfortunately, for a guy like Harden, a guy like DeRozan, they've been in the league for 10 years, and we know that they're not great playoff performers compared to the standards they set in the regular season. Then when you talk about Mitchell and especially Booker, the case for Morant over Booker is the fact that Booker was never like a clear cut number one on a genuinely good team. The closest thing it was, was the end of the bubble season. But I actually would push back and say that I would probably take Morant over Booker and maybe Donovan Mitchell. It's, and it's, it's just tough. It's almost a weird conversation. How do you compare Morant to a guy like, like Harden or DeRozan? I know for one season, but it just, it feels difficult to compare given the age gap and how much we know about each of them. Well, that's where I'm trying to put it on level field where it is the one season. If I need to back a guy like, yes, they've had their playoff woes there, but I'm still going to say I'd rather have those guys because of the long, because of the consistency they've had over years. And maybe it's a little bit of consistency of playoff failures, but I'd rather, I think, have the known of what these guys bring than the unknown of what John Morant, when the game starts to slow down in those playoff games. And then I think the same way with, with that, with Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker, where, yes, I, I necessarily haven't seen Devin Booker be the guy, the clear-cut, definitive number one guy on a really good team, but he's been the 1A, 1B, however you want to go with him and Chris Paul. I particularly say, personally say he's the 1A and Chris Paul's the 1B because I think what Booker brings to them offensively when you need a bucket, when you need the guy to get a to get a, to get get some points there, it's him. 
And the same with Donovan Mitchell. We've seen these guys for a couple of playoff stretches now where they've been absolutely dominant. Like Donovan Mitchell's team hasn't missed out on moving on because of him. It's because of the other pieces, namely maybe like a Rudy Gobert, who's normally been able to been played off the court when he's in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, well, the funny thing is, I think if you were to rank these five players, I think a very high percentage would have Donovan Mitchell last. But I actually don't think it's unfair to say that I feel the most confident in him to perform in the playoffs. I think he has the best track record that sort of balances not only has he played any, well, he's probably played in like four playoff series in his career at this point. And, um, and he's been really good in all of them. So he has the, the, you know, long track record of results, semi-long for a guy this young, yeah. in addition to the success. So I actually, you got to feel maybe the best about him out of all any of these five guys in the playoffs. If you're talking about Tate, uh, uh, Mitchell, Booker, DeRozan, Harden, and and uh, Ja, I meant? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what about what about Tatum? Do you have any pushback on that? Oh, I, I, I sort of glossed over him when you mentioned him. Um, and we'll get to him when we talk Celtics in a little bit. But I think I think honestly that he can score with the best of them. I think that he um, – man, I, I, I think he's the type of guy that can get you 40, 50 points in a playoff game, no question. I mean, so can Booker and so can Donovan Mitchell. But I think I'd probably like Tatum. Uh, so yeah, no pushback there. Okay. So next, uh, like we talked about this season, how about the next five years? How many guys are you taking over John Moran over the next five years? Cause for me, I got Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Luca, Tatum, Booker, and Mitchell. And then like, it gets into the weird scenario with the weird situation, one with Katie and Steph, cause they're like 33 over the All next right. five, like Katie doesn't look like he's slowing down. Steph doesn't look like he's slowing down, but I, th- I still think it's a maybe cause you have jaw kind of ascending and these guys kind of hanging on to their last legs there. And the Lamelo, I think Lamelo is one of the interesting points where, which guy do I want here? Because right now jaw's better. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute yeah, but, that, but, but it's but all about, the thing is, like, yeah, it's like like the next think, five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, Lamelo last year, or sorry, Ja last year compared to Lamelo this year, right? Both of their guys, both of these guys in their second year, you might take Lamelo. So I, I yeah. do think that's a good one. I think um, I think Doncic is a no-brainer. I think give me Doncic over anybody for the next five years, um, and then probably Giannis next. I think Jokic and especially Embiid. There's some question marks there. Do I really want Embiid in five years? Like I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but the no, other ones, fair. yeah. All, all the guards you mentioned, I, I got to agree with. Yeah. Um, Durant, Steph, those are interesting cases. Those are really interesting cases. And then the thing is with Morant, we don't know if this isn't necessarily his peak, right? I think a lot of people are sort of glossing over the obvious comparisons um, other than Coward, honestly, but it's like, this guy is like, for me, he's Russell Westbrook, John Wall, Derek Rose. And these are all guys who were, who were at their best when they were 24, 25, like, it, I think the prime of an NBA player for some guys like LeBron and Durant, it seems like it's like 31, 32 staff to 31. But for these more athletically based guys, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that it's 24, 25. So I, I don't think that John Morant is going to continue ascending for the next five years necessarily. I think it's possible that this is the beginning of a five-year prime. I think that's very fair. And I, yeah, I heard Colin uh, mention that and, you know, he's always been like a, a guy against Westbrook. Um, and I think that's what the interesting part of this LaMelo job part of it is because both these guys are so dynamic and we, you know, the counterpoint to a Westbrook is Steph Curry. And I'm not saying LaMelo is going to be Steph and Josh is going to be Russell Westbrook, but the fact that you get to see these guys kind of side by side, it's one year separating them. And the fact is when I'm thinking about which guy would I rather have over the next five years, both these guys are so dynamic in their own ways. I think that the fact is you kind of have to look at when you're splitting hairs here, which guy, 
fits into what you want your team to be built around. And maybe that does become LaMelo is the guy that you want to build around. And Ja is the guy that's, you know, more of a Russell Westbrook. And I think that's an interesting point to have or an interesting kind of thing or lens to see both these guys develop yeah. through. Yeah. Like I was, uh, I was listening to a Bill Simmons pod and he was comping him to Michael Jordan. And I'm like, this is insane. Like They're just glossing over the obvious comp to these guys that we've seen in our lifetimes. I mean, how can you not see Derek Rose, John Wall and Westbrook? And he's the clear heir apparent to those sort of guys. And these comps to like, Michael, I think people will just want to get behind guys. And I think that the Grizzlies is a great story and Morant's been really good. And I think that's exciting. But for, for me, like, you know, prove me prove me wrong win two playoff series right they're going to be the two seed or the three seed they're going to play golden state in the second round even if draymond's hurt if they beat golden state like with or without draymond it doesn't even matter it, it it's legit to me but if they win a six game seven game series against minnesota in the first round and they lose in five or six in the second round i don't know that's just another nba team that had a great regular season that i don't actually think is amazing so you know i'm gonna pause on just simply just pointing to, you know, I, I feel like it's pretty obvious to say that it's going to, that he fills in the line with Derek Rose, John Wall and Russell Westbrook. I think there's a little bit of a difference there because look, Rose, we don't know what his career would have been if he didn't get injured. It was a guy that was trending towards being, you know, one of the top guys in the league and somebody that potentially could have been the number one option on a championship team. Wall, I don't know. He just didn't never translate it to be that guy that we all thought he was going to be the number one when he came out as the number one overall pick. And then he missed three to four years after two consecutive kind of two consecutive injuries. And we never saw that. And then Russ is the Russ is a prime example of a guy that just never really developed his game and expanded his game. And he always had the mentality of it's his ball. It's his team, everything about him. And look, that's great. And that's how I want my number one option to be. But I feel like Josh, one of the guys that, you know, one of the other guys that you could also point to is a Dwayne Wade, a guy that's yeah. super athletic that's wing guy, and, you know, gets the hole and is super athletic. And we saw him have this ability that I don't think we've seen from Russell Westbrook and a John Wall, which is the ability to defer to somebody else on their team, which whether it was Shaq or whether it was LeBron, when they won the two titles, it was the ability to either take over like he did in the finals or when he was with Shaq or defer to somebody else. And the ability to do that and work off them is what makes what made what made Wade work. And I'm not sure if I'm going to just hammer down and say, Ja won't be able to do that because I think this is a guy that, you know, Right now, we're seeing where he's at. I think he still can develop that jump shot. Just because Westbrook, Wall, and Derrick Rose necessarily didn't in their times doesn't mean that John Moran won't. Yeah, well, Wade was never a great three-point shooter, but he, he had a good mid-range game, and the league also changed. So yeah. I have to say, I love the Wade comp. Maybe it's just because we've all sort of soured on the three-point guards that I've been naming that I'm, I was just sort of forcing him into that class and saying, this guy's going to be like a me guy, and it's just not going to happen for him in the playoffs. But you bring Wade into the discussion. It's a very interesting point um, and one that I really hadn't considered. So that's an interesting one. I, again, I like him. Um, I just – I can't wait to see him in the playoffs, really. It's, it's, uh, it's just so hard to tell because I think – let's say, you know, you play the Warriors one night – and then you go play the Grizzlies, and then you have another game against the Lakers in a few days. But what's it going to be like when you play the Grizzlies seven straight times and you get the chance to sort of practice this? We're going to play six feet off jaw. We're going to have a second guy ready to come at any given time. We're going to pack the paint and, and defend him a little bit better because the reality is this guy's still limited as a shooter. And we've seen this work against a guy like Giannis. And obviously they're very different stature-wise, but in the sense of like, I'm going to run at you really fast and dunk. For, you know, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
that's going to be for me a big test. Can this guy adapt? Is this guy a, a fourth quarter scorer that you feel great about? I'm not entirely sure yet, and I'm excited to see that in a playoff series. No, that's very fair. And look, he's putting, been in one playoff series in his career. They played Utah in the first round last year, and they lost 4-1. And you look at it, I mean, his numbers, three-point percentage-wise, he was, what is it? He was below 30% in four of the five games. And then the last game, he was five for nine. But the other ones, he was two. He was 0 for 1, 2 for 7, 2 for 7, 1 for 7, and then the 5 for 9 game. So, look, every point that you have about his jump shot is very valid and, and really is the sticking point to how high can this guy stealing go. Because when we talked about the Westbrook and Steph Curry, the difference between both those guys, outside of the fact I think their mentality with Steph and his willingness yeah, to work with other guys, it's the ability for Steph to expand his game and stretch the floor and allow for other people to work with him, as opposed to Westbrook, where the, the lack of a jump shot there forces other people to kind of adapt and work around him, if that makes sense. Um, I have to say, going back to one thing you said before, just because you brought up Steph again, we got to think of a better comp for LaMelo, because I, I think Steph just isn't accurate. No, I'm not saying, yeah, I don't want to say, I'm not saying he's going to be Steph, because I yeah. think he's I think he's a better passer, Steph's a better shooter. I think there's differences with them. I just think when you look at, you know, the, the side-by-side of Westbrook when he came to the league and how amazing he was and also Steph where Steph kind of delayed a little bit I'm not I'm getting a little off track here but the fact is you saw both these historically all-time great point guards come up and one guy is definitely going to be looked at differently than the other in Steph's case compared to Russ because of what Steph brought that was a little bit different than what Russ did yep that's fair um okay let's get to another guard that making some headway right now, especially after the James Harden trade, which is Tyrese Maxey, who has really started to step up over these past, you know, five or six games. And he has had, 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 had a solid second year since coming out of Kentucky. This is a guy, I mean, can he be the third option for the Sixers if they win the title? So I think the, the whole, can this guy be the second option? Can this guy be the first option? A lot of it ultimately comes down to like, who's your first option? Who's your second option? And who's your fourth option? In this situation, they have a great first option, an amazing second option, and a really good fourth option, Tobias Harris, who I think has done well to sort of realize, and the Sixers have done well to realize, let's put him fourth and put Maxi third rather than vice versa. Now, I remember we spoke either a week or two ago, and I did and I did the thing where I was like, one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals one and a half, and a guy like Maxi is almost definitely going to take a step back. And so far, he's making me eat those words. Um, this is a guy shooting 42% from three this year. Is it sustainable? I'm not sure because he was shooting 30% last year. Granted, he's clearly been a lot better this year, but if he's someone that you can trust to hit an open three off, off the ball, in addition to be a secondary creator, it makes things very, very interesting. Um, I think they'd certainly have a lot of scoring prowess on that team. Um, Harden and Maxi, I mean, as a defensive backcourt, you can't love that, but ultimately I think um, I like it. But I think some of these stats from these first five or however many games with Harden, like, like, you know, do you think Harden's going to shoot 60% from the field every game? No. Do you think Maxie's going to score 25 in addition to Embiid and Harden? No. So I think some of this stuff is just a bit of a honeymoon phase. And so I don't want to overreact too much. So I guess to answer your question, maybe. So I was looking I think that's a good point about how early it on it is. Don't make definitive statements. I would, I went back and I looked at like, you know, the past five championship teams. And for me, I kind of, in my estimation, picked the third best because some of them you can kind of go two ways. So it was the Suns in 2021 with DeAndre in 16 points, 12 rebounds per game. If you want to say Mikael Bridges, I won't knock you, but I thought it was DeAndre. And the Lakers in 2020, this is the hardest one. It was either KCP or Rondo 
I think you could go with either one of these. Rondo brought more of just, I think, all around offensive game with a little bit of head with like his mind when it came to defensively and KCP was the shooter and also helped out defensively uh, Raptors in 2019. If you want to go Lowry or Siakam, it was kind of two a two B to Kawhi's one. Yeah. Um, 2018, the Warriors, it was Clay Thompson averaging almost 20 points per game and 2017 with Draymond who would average 13, nine and seven for me. So when I looked at those top five, for me, the only team that I think you can kind of comp to this Laker to this Sixers team is the Lakers with KCP and with Rondo because you have the two massive superstars there with Anthony Davis and LeBron who are averaging over 27 points per game in that series. And you have kind of those guys that are taking up the the other portions of it, whether it was a Danny Green, whether it was KCP, whether it was Rondo. And that's where I think you can have a maxi there where you just need somebody to bring some life on the offensive end when those other guys are either off the floor or when things get a little stagnant or you want to give them breath there. So I think Maxi, when you compare him to a KCP or a Rondo, he'll bring more to them more than they did offensively. And he'll maybe take back a little bit of a step when it comes to defensively and playmaking. I think he's really good when it comes to just defensively. He gives a lot of effort there. It's not necessarily he's the best defender, but obviously you'll take it when a guy's giving a shit ton of effort. So I definitely think you go based on the past five years. This is definitely a team that fits the model of what the Lakers were doing, where I think KCP or Tyrese Maxey can be a guy that you look at as the third option. This team actually ends up, if this team actually ends up winning the title, it makes sense. Yeah. The, the, the problem with that is that um, like, I like Embiid or Harden, whoever you want to call the one A or the one B, um, but neither of them are Brown. And, and that's sort of the problem. I think they're both amazing one B's in terms of like genuinely being able to win a championship, but 1A for either of them. I think you need some injuries, to be honest. I just I just wonder, like, look, Harden and all the stuff that he went through but it is definitely fair. But I feel like you need to add some context there where it was going against the Warriors dynasty for four years, the one year where he had some help with it was Chris Paul. If Chris Paul doesn't hurt his hamstring, they probably end up winning and going to the finals. Yeah. Then, then the Brooklyn series last year where he was clearly hampered throughout the entirety of that Milwaukee series. I just feel like there's some context there to say, I'm not going to put a, a fork in it and say, this guy can't be the one a on a championship team. I just can't at this point. And the same goes for Embiid and B it's more so he hasn't gone there. And maybe because his, his two was Ben Simmons. And that's really not a guy that you can rely upon as a two, especially when your one is a big man, like Joel is. So I think the jury's still out for those guys. Yeah. I think it's a really fun combo. And if I didn't have a bit of disdain for the 76ers on account of knowing so many of their fans, I would be all over this team. I'd absolutely love them. Instead, I'm going to be a casual enjoyer from afar, and that's just the way things go sometimes. But um, <laughs> I'd still rather them than that. What do you mean you'd rather them than that? You'd rather oh, they win in seven? Oh, yeah. Those are, like my, those are like my two teams that I always find myself, you know, like in arguments about and rooting against. So it's just like I just have to compare them. Um, no, no, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of like, you know, you have friends that are Nets fans, but also it's the fact that KD didn't end up going to the Knicks. Well, it, it's such a shame because KD and Kyrie really are like two of the most, you know, most fun players to watch. And they're just amazing scores and unique guys and so much fun to watch. And and for for months there, we talked ourselves into it actually happening. And then not only did they not come, but they go to the little brother Nets and then it's it's a whole thing. And um, you know what was really the dagger there? It was, you know, you're talking about brought up Bill Simmons before. And there was I think he was on with uh, Mike Francesa talking like that's the season before. And it was like in March or it was in February, January of that year. And he's talking like 
Katie's going to the Knicks. And when it's coming from like a Boston guy who hates the Knicks and has yeah. no reason to like spew this and put his name out there, like it's going to happen. And then for it to not happen, that's where the buildup there. And then just for it to not happen, then goes to the Nets. That, that was what ripped my heart out. Yep. It, it was just, uh, I mean, not to you know reopen old wounds here, but I think, I think that was at some point the plan. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the lines between the Nets having a better young core and Kyrie making the Nets push, it just kind of flipped. And, and the, and the, awesome. I think the Achilles changed everything. I think that lo- that Katie lost some leverage there cool. when it came to the whole point of whether or not Kyrie wanted to go. Well, Kyrie's I think was like a Nets fan growing up. Maybe he had some push there, but Katie's Katie probably originally was like, I'm the best player. Like the, this ship goes as far as I go. If we want to do this, yeah. we got to go to the MSG. And then the Achilles happened. And he's like, okay, if I'm doing this by myself for maybe a year or a year and a half, like let's go to the, like the team I want. Yeah, but that's I, definitely possible. Okay. Let's uh, let's head over to a couple of teams. We were talking about uh, Jason Tatum before. Look, there's three teams kind of right out, right around the cutoff mark, the se- the five, six and seven seeds. You, you wouldn't consider them to be real title contenders, right? So it's the Cavs, it's the Raptors and it's the Celtics. And the conversation we're going to have is who would you least want to play? So another way to frame it is who's most likely to win a series, right? Like which of these teams that, you know, isn't going to actually win the title, but who can make some noise in the playoffs. So um, you want to go for like three, two, one or one, two, three. Let's go three, two, one. So for my third one, this was tough because like when I was making the list last night, I felt pretty definitive about my list. And then Jared Allen got hurt and yeah. now he's out indefinitely. And he'll I don't be, he'll, a broken finger. He'll be back for the playoffs. I assume so. And I, and I'm, I guess when we do this, I'll make the assumption that he is number three. I got the Raptors and it's really, for me, it's kind of like a tier system there. And I guess I kind of showed my hand there by saying it was kind of between the Cavs and the, and the Raptors yeah. there. But when I look at both these teams, the Cavs are so long. Like when I was watching their game against the Raptors yesterday, you got like three guys at least on the court at all times that are six, nine or bigger, and they can actually stretch the floor. Cause you got Jared Allen, you got Evan Mobley, and then you got either, you know, Chetty Osman, six, seven. Then you got either Kevin Love coming out there or Dean Wade coming out there who are both like six, nine and so forth. And they stretch the floor too. So you got these three guys that are super long. They run you off the three-point line and funnel, funnel you into Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. This is a team that's top five in defensive rating. They're in the top half when it comes to offensive rating, I believe. Uh, they are top 10 in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage, while the Raptors are 27th in both of those. So I just have a more efficient team. I have a team that I really like the makeup of them. And the fact is, Look, the Raptors, I think, are more top-heavy when you go through, like, their top guys, I think, are better than the Cavs. But the Cavs, depth-wise, I think the Raptors' top-heaviness doesn't outweigh the really solid depth that I think the Ra- that the Cavs do. Yeah, I think um, it, it's close. And so the anti-Raptors argument would be Siakam, who actually has, like, solid stats. But I think we all kind of know that he isn't who we thought he might have been. In 2019, he sort of plateaued around that 2019-ish performance, and then he was an all-star in 2020. But then he had that terrible playoff series against the Celtics, and that was kind of the beginning of the end for him. And so the reason that I'll still place the Raptors above is just sort of the championship pedigree, the know-how, Nick Nurse, Van Fleet, and a couple of these other guys, Siakam included, and just a few guys on the roster that I think um, – I like them. I like their veterans a bit more. Whereas with the Cavs, save for Kevin Love, who's sort of like a weird, 
I can't even think of an analogy. He's like the old rapper who goes on tour with all the new rappers or something like that. It's like, it's like, I, I don't even, I don't even know how else to say it. It's just like, he's there. It's like, what, it's like, what the hell is he doing here? Is that, oh, Kevin Love. I thought he like, I thought he was throwing balls out of bounds and begging for, for a way out a year ago. And he, here he is. But it, is he like the lone dad that comes to like the frat to like one of the frat houses for like uh for like a football weekend. And he's trying to act like he's like with the, yeah. like he's in the fraternity still. That, that's always the worst. It's like, it's like the guy who comes to his room. I used to live in this room, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, literally no one cares. <laughs> but you know, maybe one day that'll be me. So who, who knows? But, uh, but, but I think, I think those are the reasons that I take the Raptors over the Cavs. And so with the Cavs, I like them, but let's say the lights are too bright for a guy like Mobley or a guy like Darius Garland, you know, the team's really, really dependent on Darius Garland. And if he doesn't have a great series, then all of a sudden it's a, it's kind of a weird team with too many bigs. I don't love Chetty Osmond on the floor as a closer, which seems to be his role. The guard depth is a little questionable. I don't know if Sexton's coming back or not. I don't think so. I'm, pre- so I'm pretty sure he's like, out for the season. Like, you know, Penn State product, Lamar Stevens and things like that. And I like him as like a ninth, 10th guy, but all of a sudden these guys are playing big minutes. Just give me the sort of know-how and grit of a team like the Raptors to give me the slight edge over the more talented Cavaliers. No, that's fair. And when I was going back and forth with it, one of the big things was the fact that the Raptors have more playmakers with it. Like you said, Fan Fleet, you have a, uh, a Gary Trent, you have Scotty Barnes, who's able to handle the ball, Pascal Siakam. And when you do look at this Cavs team, and that's why I think the big thing for them is getting Karis LeVert back in the lineup because he's been out for a couple of games for a little bit. And just getting another ball handler there. Cause I know when you look at this Cavs team and when Darius Garland's out, they are significantly worse when it comes to the offensive end, because they don't have a guy there, especially when Ricky Rubio was in, like was lost for the season and now he's traded, but it's just getting another guy. You don't have Sexton, you don't have Rubio. You need Karis LeVert back in there just to get the, the load off, off of Garland because that is a lot for him. And the Nick Nurse part of it where you have, you know, a top three coach there. I think right. that's definitely a point where when it comes to playoff time, when he makes these adjustments, that's why the Raptors team is always diff- more difficult than you'd think when it came down to the playoff time of actually knocking them out. And you'd rather have a more switchable guard rotation. Like you feel much better playing four out with guards than – doing some weird, can we get Kevin Love, Mobley, and Jared out on the, like, that doesn't even make sense. But you do the sort of the four out lineup, but you do Siakam at the five or something like that. And then you do Barnes and Van Vliet and Trent and one other guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, I just think that's a lot, a lot tougher to deal with. So I like the flexibility of the Raptors more, but I think we both, not only do we both have the Celtics first, but I think we both have them, you know, two and three are a lot closer than one to two. Yeah, for um, me, it was a tier. It's a tier. It's Celtics and, one and the other two, two and three. And, and I think the biggest thing is that they have the two best players of any of these teams. I, I think, and so Tatum is by far the best player of any of these, of any of these teams, right? He's the only guy who's been in these, who's been anywhere near, frankly, any of these conversations we were having earlier today about, oh, who would you take over him? Who's a guy that can win a championship? Like who can be a, even, you know, one B Tatum's the only guy who was even in the stratosphere of these conversations. Everybody else, you know, Siakam, Garland, who, whoever you want to say, um, Siakam Garland, who, who am I blanking on? Siakam Garland. Mobley? Yeah. Oh, and Jalen Brown, inc- Jaylen. including Jalen uh, Brown Jaylen. of the Celtics. I don't even think he's anywhere near the conversation. I do probably think right now I would take him over uh, Garland or Siakam or, or Van Vliet, whoever, but Tatum is just by far the best player. And I, I know he had 50 the other day, so maybe it's a bit of a recency bias, but I think we all know he scored, what, 40 or 50 in a playoff game against the Nets last year as well. We know he's capable of doing it. They have playoff experience. You know, the core of Marcus Smart and those two have made it, made deep Eastern Conference Finals runs. And then in addition to that, it looks like they've really gotten their stuff together on defense under Udoka, who I think there are a lot of question marks surrounding 
we got rid of Stevens for this guy. And now all of a sudden it looks like he's doing a great job. So I think give me the best player, give me the second best player and give me the team that's playing the best defense right now. And so I, I don't see how it can't not be the Celtics. You know, I was thinking about the same exact thing because when I th- you think about the playoffs, it comes down to who is your best player and how far can they take you? And Jason Tatum's the one guy of these three, ta- these three teams that actually can touch the stratosphere or the tier of, you know, the top team, the top teams in the East, whether it's Katie, Giannis, Harden, and Embiid, that tier of players, and whether or not you want to have Katie and Giannis in tier one and then Embiid and, and Harden below that, whatever, he can get up to that tier. And that's what we saw in that Nets game where he's going – and actually outplaying Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. He's the clear best player on that court. And not, yes, you don't want to get hamstrung into, okay, we saw one game, a regular season game that was in Boston and everything was going right for him. But I don't think this is an overreaction because I don't think it's necessarily like that close even before this where you were talking about, uh, even if you take out that last game where you think about it, there's nobody else. Like if, if we had to bid on, you know, first pick amongst all three of these teams, everybody would be bidding the hell out of the one-on-one to take Jason Tatum. Over even the if, rest even of if you love Garland or even if you love Jalen Brown, or even if you love Siakam, I think you have to admit that Tatum is still a level above just when we talk about pure score Tatum. But now we look at Tatum who is going into the sort of modern NBA best player of like, this guy's going to have the ball all the time. Can he stop himself from taking step back deep twos and like make real plays? And he's, he's headed that way, clearly. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you have Jalen Brown, who like when I think about like who's the second best, who would be in the competition for him with him? And it's, you know, Siakam. And I think it's really a Siakam thing. If, I, if I'm guessing right now, it's just I think Siakam to the Cavs guys and going back to that. I don't think it's necessarily that big, but I'll take Jalen Brown over a Siakam, given, mm-hmm. you know, the struggles that we've seen Siakam have over the past couple of years. But then you bring in the versatility they have defensively. Al Horford, you've seen you saw him at times pick up Kyrie Irving yesterday. And I, I just think he had some flexibility there. Robert Williams has been really good when it comes to being a, um, a rim protector, where I think they've really lacked over the past couple of years. They've been, rely- they've been relying on Daniel Tice. They've been re- relying on a bunch of mix and match there. And Al Horford, even when he was the center there, you're not looking at him as this rim protector. Then you still have Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum at the top. And I think Derek White offers a little bit of flexibility there, too to bring in a guy to offer some spark there. And also defensively, he doesn't offer necessarily the shooting that you would expect or you'd hope, but just over what they'd had in the past, whether it was a Kemba Walker, whether it was, you know, a Jeff Teague, this is a guy that actually cannot be, can be a, you know, a plus on the defensive side of the ball, because you already have the the pluses on the offensive side, whether it's Tatum, whether it's Brown, whether, you know, it's Marcus Smart having this hot or cold stretch or this hot stretches at times. Al Horford can and can get you some buckets, and then Robert Williams as a roller in the pick and roll game with Tatum. Wow, I was looking. You you bring up Daniel Tice. I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I loved watching Daniel Tice. I wonder where he is now. He got traded back to Boston yeah. a couple of weeks ago. That's I was gonna, I was going to bring this up. It's like there's. So, I, I was watching that game and I saw him there. I'm like, there's so there's some guys like you see him and Al Horford. There's like there's some guys there that just feel like the Celtics. I I don't know. It's weird because they're so known, like not Al Horford, but Daniel Tyson is such a no-name guy. But when you think of him, you think of him as a Celtic. No, 100%. I always liked him. I thought he um, had some, I don't know, maybe like Tristan Thompson-esque qualities. He's a tough guy down low. Definitely not like an offensive option, but he's just going to, you know, he'll commit a bunch of fouls and he'll uh, do his thing and offensive rebounds and play hard and things like that. That's the type of thing that you need today in a modern center. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the Celtics are certainly interesting. Like John Morant, you know, we talk about John Morant, we talk about the Celtics. If this were a stock market, 
you should be selling both of those things right now, probably. So I think we need to sort of accept that because they're both really high right now. And we'll, it'll be interesting to revisit around playoff time, say, is John Moran actually the guy we thought he was in March? Are the Celtics actually the sleeper contender we thought they might have been in March? And we'll have to see how it plays out. I'd definitely be selling my Celtics stock as well as my John Moran stock. But I do think that the Celtics are one of those teams that can actually sneak into, into the conference finals and make yeah, things they, difficult. They get a favorable matchup uh, 100%. Because when I look at the Cavs and I look at the Raptors, I don't necessarily have those teams really having that ceiling. I could see them maybe winning a playoff series, maybe, but I don't see them winning two. And I think the Celtics well, actually have the ability to do that. Well, so the Celtics, the Celtics, I mean, Tatum, right, at his, if he were to maximize his potential this season, could be the third best player in the East, right? Durant and Bede. And I think he, I think he'd be better than Harden in a playoff series. You skip over Giannis, or is Giannis? Oh, over I'm Giannis? forgetting someone. You know, you, you try to do it in your head, and you're yeah. not even looking at the standings. You know, you're going to miss someone. So I, I assume because you were talking Katie and Giannis, like as no, the, I, the, the two. I, I'm like, wait, Embiid. No, not meant to disrespect Giannis. Yeah. yeah, you just sort of you go through the standings really quick in your head. I'm like, well, there's no one on the Heat. Like, and I'm like, ah, and then you just next thing yeah. you know, you're, you're forgetting about Giannis. So, but again, I think he has that ceiling of being a, a at least a top five player in the East. So, yeah, I think I think right now he is the probably the fifth best player in the East. I think he can get up into that top three if he if he's on like he is normally on, and you know maybe Harden and Embiid show what they've shown in the past when it comes to playoff performances, and then you know it flips there because I think there is there is room. It's not like a solidified thing. I don't think he can get past Giannis and Durant. But I think he can get over the Harden and Embiid tier of players or because into the that. Thing is, Tatum can score 45 in a game, but he can't average like 37 for a series. I don't think he's there yet. It, I think so, he has the potential to be there. I think he's so gifted offensively. Like the things he was doing yesterday, it wasn't just like, I, I don't know. It was, it, it was just absolutely insane to me. And as somebody that had Nets money line, it was just, it was just brutal to see. He's, he's very um, appealing to watch. It's kind of like yeah. that Paul George, Carmel Anthony. Like you like, I love watching this guy take a step back deep to like tell on the line. It looks amazing. And, it, it it's so fun to watch. And it's, it was, goes back to what you're talking about with the uh, Kyrie and KD, where it's just, these are some of the most fun players to watch. Yeah. So it's so great to see them Absolutely. play and just kind of so fluid with their movements. And that's where I think Tatum's taking that step up where he's kind of putting it all together. Okay. Let's head over to the NFL. There's really one major story. I think, um, in the NFL this past week, Amari Cooper, the Cowboys apparently looking to either trade him or release him and relieve some of their cap weight that they have. I believe they're $13 million over the cap. This would obviously help out if they uh, his base salary his $20 million base salary is guaranteed on March 16th. And if they part ways with him, it frees up $16 million in cap for them to go out and sign some other guys. They've been asking other guys to restructure their deals, whether it was DeMarcus Lawrence, whether it was Dak Prescott since joining the Cowboys. Amari Cooper, 56 games, 292 receptions, which is about five receptions per game, 3,893 receiving yards, which is about 69.5 yards per game, 1,100 yards in two of the three full seasons he had in Dallas, 27 touchdowns, and two a two-time Pro Bowler. Would you trade for him? Oh, yeah. I, I think um, I think the Cowboys are a little um, under, underrating him a bit, if you will. I think he's – leagues better than like a Michael Gallup or a Cedric Wilson, like way, way better than these guys. I think he's honestly better than CD lamb, at least right now. I think we all love CD lamb's potential. We all love his college highlight tape, but if you watch the Cowboys week in and week out, I think Cooper is clearly the best receiver on the team. He's always the one they go to in the red zone. Um, he's deep threat. He's got reliable hands. Um, and it really can't be overstated. Like he's 
for me, their biggest red zone target. Like they, they have this sort of like uh, Dalton Schultz and the other guy, oh, Jarwin. And, and you, you kind of think like, oh, one of these guys is going to be good. I don't think either of them are that good. So it's really Cooper in the red zone who's the biggest target. And maybe the 27 touchdowns in 56 games doesn't necessarily reflect that. But I do feel that when I watch him, he's someone that like when I watch the Cowboys, that he's someone that they go to in the red zone a lot. I don't, I don't like getting rid of him this hastily. Honestly, you should look to get rid of Zeke before you look to get rid of Cooper, in my opinion. And this is probably the downside of paying Zeke so much money is that now you, you couldn't, you didn't really have the money for Cooper, Zeke, and Dak. And when you drafted CD, the writing was probably on the wall that, that Cooper might not be there for the long haul. And I just think, I think Cooper is really, really good. I know he's probably a bit older, but he's probably like 28, 29 now. Um, and, and I think, I'm not saying lock him up to a five-year deal, but can you trade for him and pay him $20 million for another year or two? I'd absolutely be interested if I was a team in need of a receiver with some cap space. Eagles. Eagles should look into it. So he will be 28 June 17th. So this is a guy that still has a few more years there. Mm-hmm. I say like probably like three-ish years where you're looking yeah. at some high-end stuff. And he is, yeah, I agree with you. He is the clear-cut wide receiver one on this team. He's a guy that I, I don't see Michael Gallup making that stride. I don't see CD getting to that tier. For me personally, I, I think CD is a nice player. I just don't see him being that guy where when I look at it and I look at this team that I, I feel very comfortable. Oh, we're getting rid of Amari Cooper, but we have this guy right next to him. No, I, I don't feel the same. I don't feel that way. I don't feel like if you told me, you know, they had Justin Jefferson and says CD Lamb, I'd be like, okay, get rid of Amari Cooper. You have Justin Jefferson here. That's a different story. You have Jamar Chase. That's a different story. I don't feel the same way about CD Lamb. I think he's a solid player. I think he's a really good number two. But I, I think there's some hesitation there to believe that you let go of Amari Cooper and C. Lamb will immediately pick up the production where he's a guy that you can rely upon to be the wide receiver one, to move the chains, to, to ha- be the focal point of an offense that's top 10 in the NFL like we have been looking at the Cowboys over the past couple of years. The Zeke part of it is very interesting. You can't, they can't really get rid of Zeke. Yeah, like you look at his contract, it's really a next-year thing where he, if you want to get rid of him. He's basically one of those like NBA, like Russell Westbrook, John Wall contracts where mm-hmm. it's like – Oh boy. Like what, like who the hell is trading for this? Now you're right about that. And that's the sense where, but that's why, you know, maybe it was one of those things. Like, do you remember when the Patriots came out and they were like, we're releasing Gilmore and then they trade him the next day for a fifth round pick. It's almost one of those, like you you say that they're, cause they said they're going to release Cooper. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, maybe you sort of leak that story. So all the teams go, what? And, and they start putting in their offers. That, that, that's he, definitely what it is. Yeah. I'd be pretty surprised if he got cut for nothing. I think he has value. I, look, if I'm a team, and we'll get to the teams in a second. If I could get them for like, you know, a late fourth or a fourth rounder maybe, or worse in draft capital, fourth, fifth, or sixth, or seventh, then I do it. I think if you're getting into the third, that's a little pricey for a guy that's making $20 million a year when he's had, you know, he hasn't been the all-world production guy. I think he's been very good, and I still would love to get him on my team. It's about trading the draft capital there, and I think thirds are a little bit more of a premium than a fourth rounder well, or beyond. And the other problem is – the other problem is – you know, what do you do long-term? Is it a situation where you bring them in for a couple of years and then, you know, do you bring them in as a rental because you're going to be stuck in the same problem that Dallas has now, or it's a bit of a, yeah. a negotiation thing and all that. So um, it, it, it could get dicey. But he, he has, he has three more years left on his deal. Um, so it is something well, that's, where, actually, that's actually great though. Th- yeah. Three is a perfect amount. Yeah. He'll, he'll be 30 by the time, or he'll be 31 uh, the season that he is uh, a free agent. So I, I think that does work out well for them. When I look at the teams uh, that could actually make this move, look, I'm looking at any of the teams that spent a first round pick on a quarterback, because I think none of them have a clear cut guy, whether it is 
Trevor Lawrence. I mean, maybe actually besides Trey Lance, besides Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. None of those guys have a clear cut wide receiver one. And I believe that Amari Cooper is a wide receiver one. I want to hone in on the Jags though, because this is a team I think that should definitely make a move for him. Trevor Lawrence first year, obviously not great. Everybody, you know, a little bit of a letdown there, but you look at it and it's in large part because they didn't have a wide receiver one. I mean, you look at his receiving options. Marvin Jones is, you know, a, a low end wide receiver two a solid wide receiver three on an offense. Then you have LaVisca Chanel, who's a solid player. You'd hope he develop into something a little bit more, but he's not really a guy that you can, I think, rely upon. And then Laquan Treadwell, who, who was a bust that they picked up before the season that had his career high in yardages throughout his first you know, seven or eight years in his career with 434 yards. So you have Amari Cooper, who is a proven wide receiver on your ability to bring him in there. And they got plenty of draft and they have plenty of cap space to use on a premium position like that. You bring in, you know, first overall pick, you get a left tackle there. You get a wide receiver one like Amari Cooper. Your offense is starting to look really good there. And the Doug Peterson part of it in the five games versus Doug Peterson's Eagles, like when Doug Peterson was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles in five games versus the Cowboys where he didn't have and taking out one game where he had Ben DiNucci as the quarterback. You know what his numbers were? 31 catches, 543 yards and three touchdowns. And maybe that's why I think he's so good. <laughs> I mean, with three touchdowns, all three were in one game, but uh, yeah. still the consistent production there where he had not, somebody that wasn't Ben DiNucci. Maybe that's why uh, yeah, that, that makes sense, but that maybe that's what leads Doug Peterson to be like, okay, this is a guy that we can go out and get. I think, I think it's a good one. I think um, the Raiders could look at him. I, I know he already played there, but it's a, it's a different regime. You, you could bring him back. They're in need of a wide receiver one, given that everything that happened again, I brought up the Eagles. I, it's probably not going to happen, right? When you talk about Cowboys trading with Eagles, it's doubtful. But I do think it's a team that could use him, and um, you know maybe the Falcons, right? Because now they're out; they're without Ridley. Um, and I think there are a few teams that that could fit the bill. And I think it's like twenty million for a top tier receiver in his prime. It's not that bad. It's not great because he's no, not one of those upper echelon yeah. guys. If you look at it, yes, DeAndre Hopkins is, is getting paid $27 million a year. And is he $7 million worse than DeAndre Hopkins? I don't necessarily think that. Yeah, so I yeah, think I that's mean, where you can kind of, you can stomach it there. You could be like, oh, maybe he's $10 million worse. It's something like that. It's not yeah. like a, yeah. oh my God, this is some albatross. Like, again, it, it's not comparable to like a like a Ezekiel Elliott or like a Russell Westbrook John Wall, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, where it's like, how is this guy making this much money? He's a negative or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. One of the dark horses I had were, were the chiefs. I think not to trade for him, but if he gets released, because I think, could they, you know, kick the tires on him and maybe, you know, there was, there was reports out that they had offered Juju a one year, like seven or $8 million a year contract last year. Could they kick the tires on something like that? Because they're a team that needs a wide receiver two after Tyree kill. And this is a team that, that, didn't get to where they want to go. If they could be the, if they could say, Hey, Amari, your, your value is not where it's supposed to be. We could do this one year thing, get you those numbers that you need and you can go out and get a ring. I, I think that's yeah. some appeal there. Could, could the Packers do it in that same vein? I mean, look, they're, they're going to have a lot of money. Can you get Rogers and Devontae Adams? If they're both staying, can you get them to both take significant pay cuts to also bring in this guy? It's a I big ass. I, I don't, I don't see that happening, especially with how cap strong they are right now, trying to get Jair Alexander signed, trying to get all yeah. these guys signed. And then obviously the Rogers and Adams part of it. <laughs> and they've never been those guys like to go out and do and do that. So I, I don't know. I, I don't see that, but I, I would love to see it because 
it would be very interesting with him and him and Devontae because I think they're both two of the best route runners in the NFL. And then you obviously have Aaron Rodgers and it's just pinpoint accuracy there. It'd be an absolute nightmare for these teams. And that's where I think I think Amari Cooper is really underrated because I think his his route running is so, so pristine. And I think his ability to get open is really good. And maybe like look, this is a guy that's reliable. He's only missed, he's only put or he's never played less than 14 games in a season. So this is a guy that hasn't missed significant time due to injury. And I think that may be playing part because he plays injured and like everybody does, but it might hamper him a little bit. I, I just think it goes back to like, doesn't it feel like CD lamb is almost held in higher regard? Yeah. And I think that's in part because Amari Cooper takes the brunt of the defensive focus there. He gets the number one receiver against him and CD lambs in the slot. And I think it's just easier for him to maneuver there when you have to worry about, you know, Michael Gallup and, and Amari Cooper on the outside. Right. And, and so I just think, I think, yeah, I also think, look, CD has a cool name. He was great in college and whatever the case may be, he does seem to be more popular held in high regard. I mean, Cooper seems like a quiet guy, but I do think when you talk about some, one of the more underrated guys in the league, which is crazy to say for a Cowboys player, but he is that guy. And it'd be interesting to see him as a receiver too. I brought up the Packers because I remember I said a couple of weeks back, I thought if the Packers got Odell, they would have won the Super Bowl, just like mm-hmm. the Rams did. I thought that's how much they needed a second guy. So if they could make that work by any means possible, and maybe they look into it. The CD part is also like, you know, the, the draft store, the draft did get uh, when he got drafted, you know, the, the video of him and his girlfriend, his girlfriend taking yeah. his phone the, and like he's just, snatching him he's back. Just a, he's a popular, like, he's a popular guy. He's, like, you got CD's Michael Irvin coming out about him. He's worth 88 for the Cowboys. It's like, right. oh, he's the next Michael Irving. Um, and, but there's one game, there's been one game where Dak Prescott's been the quarterback, Amari Cooper hasn't been in the game, and that was this past year. It was against the Chiefs, and you know what happened? The Cowboys put up nine points, and CeeDee Lamb had three catches for 14 yards. Now, it's one game, and it's not something that's, you know, this guy can't be the number one option, but I think that also leads into it. I know, like, before we even started this podcast, your big thing was you weren't a huge Juju guy. You were an AB was the one. Juju yeah. as the two could take care of business. I kind of feel like CD's that guy. I feel like CD's a guy that's a really good two and maybe a low end one, but he's not a guy that you assume that, okay, we get rid of Amari Cooper. We get rid of Antonio Brown. This guy's just going to uplift us and be able to sustain or allow this offense to sustain the excellence that it's had over the past, you know, three or four seasons. Yeah. I went, I went one for two on those takes because I have to admit AJ Brown is way better than I thought. <laughs> uh yeah, he was winning some games by himself this year, but the, the, the Juju thing is very real. Now, I agree. I think, again, CD's really popular. If a guy like Cooper leaves, they might be like, you know, CD gets drafted high in fantasy, for example. Oh, he's a wide receiver. One, he's going to have 1,500 yards. And then you sort of you look back and you think, what happened? And, yeah, what you said is very, very valid. Very fair. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back next week to discuss some more NFL. we got free agency coming up. It should start, I believe. Yeah, it's the 16th, so we'll get in there. We'll give out some predictions, some teams that we think could be making some moves there. And then, obviously, any NBA news that comes to light over the next week or so, we will definitely hit on. But that's it for us today. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week.